I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 9. And I want to speak about confidence before God or living in the Holy of Holies. How do you get there and how do you stay there? Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 and Hebrews chapter 9. The Bible teaches that we were created to live in the presence of God. Now I want you to underline that in your heart. God created us to live in His presence. And that's exactly where Adam and Eve lived until they sinned. I mean, Adam and Eve lived in the unhindered presence of God. They enjoyed His presence. And they were fulfilling their creation. You say, Brother Fred, why is it so important to live in the presence of God? Psalm 1611 says, in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here Adam and Eve living in the presence of God, but then we know the rest of the story. The devil came along and tempted Eve, and she saw what she was pleasant to the eyes and a thing to be desired, and the very thing God told her not to do and told Adam not to do, they did. And that's what sin is. It's disobeying God. It's doing that which God has told us not to do. And the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that point, they were separated from God. In fact, instead of enjoying the presence of God, they hid from God. Now, now wait a minute. Going from enjoying the presence of God now to hiding from the presence of God. And by the way, you know, up until the time that they sinned, Adam and Eve were naked, wasn't even aware of that. But you know, after they sinned, they immediately became aware of their nakedness and made uh, a covering of fig leaves. You know why? I believe before they sinned, they were clothed with the glory of God. I believe it was the glory of God that was their clothing. And the moment they sinned, the glory of God departed. And there they saw themselves as naked and tried to cover their shame. And, you know, in Genesis 3, here's a sad picture. Look at verse 8. It says that God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says in verse 8, And they heard, and that's Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You see, they always took a walk with God every afternoon. Always. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Boy, it didn't take long for sin to mess them up. Because let me just tell you something you can't do. You can't hide from God behind a bunch of trees. But here they are, crouched crouched down behind some trees, hiding from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And then in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Now, wait a minute. Do you think for a moment God didn't know where he was? He knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly where Eve was. He knew exactly what had happened. And he knew now in their guilt and their shame 
because of their sin, instead of enjoying his presence and living in his presence, they were hiding from his presence. And then, of course, you know the rest of the story. But one of the saddest verses in all the Bible is the last verse of chapter 3 of Genesis. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here they were, created to live in the presence of God. Sinned, were separated from God, and so God drove them out of the garden. And they were separated from the God who created them, the God in whose presence they were supposed to live and enjoy. Well, I'm going to make a statement that you're going to have difficulty believing, but it's true. And I'll show you and prove it to you from the Scripture. After Adam and Eve sinned, no one, no one could live in the presence of God. From Adam to Jesus, not one person could live in the presence of God. You say, wait a minute, Brother Fred. We were created to live in God's presence. Are you telling me that after Adam and Eve sinned, that all the way from Adam to Jesus, not one person could live in the unhindered, unbroken, continuous presence of God? That's exactly right. Oh, I know that Moses had a, a brief encounter with God on the mountain. And when he came down, his face was shining and he had to cover it with a veil. I know there was times when they took the ark back into the temple and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they could not go in there and minister. I realize that Isaiah had a great vision of God in chapter 6. Oh, I'm saying that there were times in the Old Testament where people would have an encounter with God, but nobody, nobody lived in the presence of God. Nobody. You say, man, what a tragedy. You say, Pastor, how do you know that from Adam to Jesus, nobody could live in the presence of God? Well, I'll tell you how. The way you know that is by the tabernacle. When you study the tabernacle, and by the way, that's in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to look in a moment. When you study the tabernacle, you realize that there are 40 chapters in the Bible. Now think about this. 40 chapters in the Bible about the tabernacle, more than about the cross or anything else. 40 chapters. You say, well, why, Pastor? Let me tell you why. It answers the question, could anybody live in the presence of God? But more than that, every piece of the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Every piece, the dimensions, the, 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 the uh, cloth that was used, the whole tabernacle is a, a picture of Jesus. You know, there were three rooms in the tabernacle. And by the way, that was the center of Israel's life. Their life revolved around the tabernacle. It revolved around the worship of God. And the tabernacle was the thing that they all united themselves around. But there were three rooms. Let's take a journey. There was an outer court. And you know what was in the outer court? There was a bronze altar. A bronze altar. And then there was a bronze laver. Now, bronze is always a picture of judgment. And so let me tell you what would happen. The, the, the Israelites would daily, I mean daily, come to the outer court. And they would come to the outer court and bring their sacrifices. And the priest would then slay the sacrifices. 
and placed them on the brazen altar as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Day in and day out, week after week, they would come to the outer court and bring their sacrifices for their sin, could not, on, could not remove them, only cover them, and they would offer their sacrifices a, a, on that altar. And then the, at the very back of the outer court was that bronze laver full of water, and that's where the priest would wash themselves after they had uh, offered the sacrifices. The bronze labor is a picture of the judgment of God, but also the picture of Jesus where the sacrifice was made that one day was going to be our sacrifice. And the bronze labor where the priest washed was also a picture of someday that one day that Jesus was going to wash us with his blood and the water of his word. But you know, after the outer court, there was another room. It was called the holy place. Now, the priest went into the holy place every day. Now, the ordinary person could not go in. Nobody, you know, the priest could, though. And every day, the priest would go into the holy place. And by the way, when God told Moses to make the, uh, the tabernacle, or drew up the plan for the tabernacle, it was designed that, so, that no outside light could get into the holy place. It was built so securely and so tightly that no outside light could get in there. But when the priest went into the holy place, there were three things in there. On one side was a seven golden lampstands fed by olive oil, and they burned day and night. Of course, you know what that's a picture of. It's a picture of Jesus, the light of the world. And that olive oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit that caused Jesus to, have, to be the light of the world. Then on the other side of the holy place, there was uh, the table of showbread. And there was the showbread, and the, and the priest would minister there daily. But, you know, that was a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus who would come and through his death and resurrection give life to the world. The showbread. And then at the back, the very back of the holy place, was an altar of, of incense that continuously offered up the aroma and the smoke of incense, a picture of the prayers of Jesus, his intercession for the saints according to the will of God. But then everything changes. The people went to the outer court every day. The priest went into the holy place every day. But you know, at the back of the holy place was a seven-inch thick, ten-foot-high scarlet veil. It sang about the veil in the song. Sang about it. It was an amazing thing. Can you imagine how heavy it was? The Bible calls it a veil. You and I would call it a curtain. It was seven inches thick. And it was ten feet high. You know what? Behind that veil was the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. Outer court, holy place. And then... Inside that veil, the Holy of Holies. Now, inside that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Meant always, which was always symbolic of the presence of God. Anytime the Ark was present, man, God was present. And you know, the Ark of the Covenant is such a picture of Jesus. It was made of wood, a picture of the humanity of Jesus. It was overlaid with gold, a picture of the deity of Jesus. And above the 
Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And above the mercy seat were the cherubim. Now here's the thing. You ask any Israelite, where's the presence of God? Where's the Shekinah glory of God? Where does God dwell? And they would say, well, he doesn't dwell in the outer court. He doesn't dwell in the holy place. He dwells behind the veil. He, dwell, he dwells in the holy of holies. And that's where God's presence is. And that's where God dwells. But you see, there was one problem. Nobody could go in there. Oh, the people could go into the outer court every day. The priest went into the holy place every day. But you know what? Not one person could go inside that veil. Not one person could go into the presence of God. One exception, once a year. Once a year. On the Day of Atonement. That was the high and holy day for all of Israel when the high priest would prepare himself. The great high priest would prepare himself. It is said that the, they would keep him up all night to be sure that he was prepared and ready. And then on the Day of Atonement, once a year, that great high priest would take an altar. He'd have an altar of incense, have a, 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 a thing full of incense and smoke on one hand. And he'd have a, the blood of goats and calves on the other and the purpose of the burning of the incense and the smoke was to cover him from the presence of God. The smoke would cover him from the presence of God. Now, I always had thought that they would somehow push that veil open and the priest would go in and with that incense, he would be covered from the presence of God and then he could go in there and sprinkle the mercy seat. He'd sprinkle it seven times with the blood of a goat, a calf, or a lamb. For the sins of the people, seven times. I often thought he pushed the veil aside, but I read somewhere that you know what? That instead of pushing it aside, he crawled, they lifted it up, and he crawled under the veil on his knees. And that's how he came in the presence of God. And that way the smoke covered him, because if he had really had the unhindered presence of God, he'd have dropped dead on the spot. But he'd go in there and he would sprinkle that mercy seat with the blood of a lamb. And then he would go back out. And you know what? All the people would be standing in the doorways. The husband, the wife, the children. This was that high and holy day. They knew that the high priest was going to go in, offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people, and come back out. But you know, after he came out, nobody could go back for a year. Now, can you imagine how empty life must have been, how barren life must have been to go for a year without experiencing the awesome presence of God. You say, Brother Fred, is, is, that, is that exactly in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Look at chapter 9. It'll tell you exactly what I just described to you. In just a few verses, it'll say that, hey, you couldn't get inside the veil. No, ordinary people. And only a priest covered with smoke could go in once a year. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Now, don't miss this. I want you to see it's in the Word of God, what I just told you. Verses 1 through 5 talk about the tabernacle and how it was prepared. And then it says in verse 6, 
When these things, talking about the tabernacle, had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part. The priest always went into the outer court, and the priest always went into the holy place. The priest always went into the first place, performing the services. But into the second part, oh, the holy of holies, inside the veil. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Now, don't miss verse 8. The Holy Spirit telling us, the Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the Holy of Holies was not made manifest while the first tabernacle still stood. It says, as long as that veil was in place, as long as that veil was in place, the, 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 the testimony was, you can't go into the, uh, God's presence. You can't live in God's presence. And as long as the veil was there, it's almost like it said, keep out. It's almost like it said, no admittance. It said, the Holy Spirit signifying that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet made manifest. While the first part of the first tabernacle on this side of the veil still stood. Now, here's the question I want to ask and answer. How do you get inside the veil? How do you get into the presence of God and live there? I mean, I don't want to live in the outer court. And, and I don't want to live in the holy place. God created us to live in, in the holy of holies, to live in his unhindered and unbroken presence. So the question we must ask and answer is, well, how do you get inside the veil? And how do you live there? Well, I want to take a moment and tell you how you don't get in there. And this, this is so important. I, I, there's no way I can tell you how important this is. Because many of you are in this trap. I'm telling you, you're in this trap. I've been in this trap. And I know what a trap it is. And it's an awful trap. But see, let me tell you how you don't get in. In our culture today, there is a, there is a view of life that is totally contrary to the Word of God and is absolutely false. And it is this. Performance, if you perform right, you'll be accepted. And if you're accepted, you have value. You see, in America, it seems like value is based on performance. In other words, if you perform right, then you'll be accepted. And if you're accepted, you have value. And so... I, you know, but that means take the reverse of that. Well, if you don't perform right, then you don't have value. If you don't perform right, you're not accepted, and you don't have value. Now, see, a lot of people think, well, Brother Fred, the way to get inside the veil, the way to live in the presence of God, unhindered, is by my performance. If I just do the right things, if I perform right, then God will accept me. And if God accepts me, I will have value. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Whoever said that our access into the presence of God was based upon our performance? 
and, then, and that our acceptance was based on our performance and that our value was based on our performance. That, that, that's the, that is the concept and the culture of this world. But I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll jump right over into your, quote, spiritual life and religious life, and you say, well, how are you going to get in the presence of God? How are you going to get inside the veil? How are you going to live there and enjoy the presence of God forever? You say, I'll tell you how. I, I'm going to perform right. Man, I, I'm going to perform right. And if I perform right, God will accept me. I mean, I'm going to do the right thing. And if I do the right thing, God will accept me. And if God accepts me, I've got value, and I'll just, I'll just live in God's presence. Lie. Absolute lie. You know why that's a lie? Number one, you can't perform right. Who's the only person who ever performed right 100%? Somebody tell me what his name is. Jesus. The only one that could have ever gone inside the veil into the presence of God based on his performance would have been Jesus. But you see, let me tell you something. You've got to get this in your heart. Your value to God is not dependent on your performance. Please listen to me. You know, you get this idea, if I do good and, and try better and try harder, and so somehow God will accept me, and, and, and I'll have some... No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your acceptance by God and your value to God has absolutely nothing to do with your performance. In fact, you know what the Bible says? That God's, we have value to God not based on our performance. We have value to God because we are created in the image of God. He didn't say of the animals, let us create them in our image. You know what he said? No, let's create man and woman in our image. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the... Do you know why you're so valuable to God? You know why God values, values you so much? It's because he created you in his image. He created you to extend his life and to express his character and to exhibit his power. And God's, your value to God has absolutely nothing to do with your performance. It's the fact that God created you in his image and he has a plan and a purpose for you, and that was to live in his presence. In fact, you know what the Bible says? To show you how God's love is, how God's love for you is unconditional. You say, well, if I do right, God will love me more, and if I do bad, God will love me less. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. God's love for you is not based on what you do. It is unconditional love. Amen? Listen to Romans 5, 8. God commended his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Woo! While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That doesn't sound like we were performing right, did it? You know what it says in Romans 5, 10? 
For when we were enemy, if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The Bible says when we were enemies, God sent Jesus into the world to reconcile us. Listen to me. I'm telling you, you bet, we just better praise God that our acceptance by God in value is not based on our performance. It's based on the fact that he created us in his image. And he loves us with an everlasting love and an unconditional love love. You never get into the presence of God by your performance. Let me tell you how that works out in the, in, 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 in the spiritual realm. Now, this is going to bother you, but let me get through with it before you get upset with me. Now, let me just say this. I want you to listen to this. Well, I'll tell you how I'm going to get in the presence of God, Brother Fred. I'm going to love and read the Bible. Now, you need to love and read the Bible. Amen. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you've got to love this book and read it. But that's not how you get inside the veil. You say, well, oh, I'll just tell you how I'm going to get in. I'm going to be a man or woman of prayer. And, it, and my prayer life is going to be such that through my prayer life, I'll get into the presence of God. We need to pray more and more deeply and more fervently. But that won't get you inside the veil. It won't get you in. I'm sorry. You say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to witness and witness and witness. And if I witness, God will be pleased. And, and, and that'll get me inside the veil. Hey, you need to be a witness, but that's not going to get you inside the veil. It, it, well, it's really serious. I say, well, I'll tithe. That's exactly what, boy, it gets serious when you get there. I'll tithe. And, 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 and by my giving, I'll get into the presence of God. Nope, that's not the way you get in. You say, well, I'll serve the Lord. And that's how I'll get inside the veil. No, that's not the way you get in. You know what all that is? That's performance. It's what you do. You read your Bible. You pray. You witness. You give. You serve. You're faithful. You know what? If that would get you inside the veil into the presence of God, you know who the first people who would, would have been in the, inside the veil? The Pharisees. Oh, if performance would get you inside the veil, the Pharisees would have been the first one that entered in. They loved the Bible. They read it all the time. They added so much to it, you had to have a wheelbarrow to roll it around in. Oh, yeah. Pray five times a day. The Pharisees prayed five times a day. Man, that'll get you elected deacon. I'm saying five times a day they prayed. Tithe, they gave 33%. I'm glad we're not living under that. 33%. They, Jesus said of the Pharisees, you'll go to the end of the earth to make a convert to your that witnessed. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Now you listen to this. In Matthew 5, he said, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now wait a minute, Lord. You're telling me that I've got to outrighteous the Pharisees. You said, unless my righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, I will never, ever enter the kingdom of God. That's exactly what he said. Because let me tell you something. You don't get into the presence of God by performance. You say, all right, Brother Fred. How do you get in the presence of God? Turn to Matthew chapter 27. You see, it's not by performance. It's by provision. That's the awesome thing. It is not by your performance. It is by God's provision that you get into the presence of God. Matthew chapter 27. Look down around. 
verse, um, about around verse 30. And, and you're going, I'm going to show you how you get inside the veil. How you get into the presence of God. Now, you know, all of the Bible is inspired. Infallible, inerrant. But there are certain parts of the Bible. When you get there, it's kind of like you feel like, man, this is holy ground. And one of those places is, is the cross. Because when you get to reading about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, it's almost like, God, that, that, how could that be? How could that be? Now, in Matthew 27, listen to what it says. In verse 33, uh, verse 31, And when they had mocked him, Jesus, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. All right, verse 33. And when they'd come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now I want you to pause a moment. They crucified him. Can I ask you a question? Who did they crucify? Who is that person hanging on the cross? Oh, I know there was a robber on one side and a robber on another. But I want to ask you something. Who is that man on the middle cross? Who is that? Is it just another crucifixion? Is it just another criminal? No, wait a minute. You know who's on that cross? God manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then, and the Word which was God was made manifested, Jesus. And He lived among us. And He was full of grace and truth. And when I look at the cross, I said, how can it be? How can it be? That is perfect deity. That is perfect deity. That is God Himself. God. Hanging on that cross. But it's not only perfect deity, it's perfect humanity. You see, he's the last Adam. Where Adam's, the first Adam sinned, Jesus, the last Adam, never sinned. And Jesus is the son of David. He is 100% God manifest in the flesh, but he's 100% human, a man full of the Holy Spirit. And so I get amazed. Hanging on that cross is perfect deity, God himself, and sinless humanity the son of David, I said, my, that is beyond human understanding that the God who spoke this world out of nothing would die on a cross for us and the sinless Lamb of God would go to the cross and take our place. This is beyond understanding of the human heart. But that's exactly who was on the cross. See, you don't get inside the veil by performance. You get inside the veil by provision. And so there he is. Perfect God and perfect man hanging on the cross. You say to me, Brother Fred, what is heaven like? And I would say to you, well, I tell you, you want to know what heaven's like? Read John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And then go over and read the last two chapters of Revelation where it says there's no light in heaven for the Lamb is the light. Oh, heaven is an awesome place. But then you might ask me the question, well, where does the Bible teach about hell? I I know where it teaches about heaven. But where does it teach about hell? Did you know you'll never have any understanding, any concept of hell until you look at it through the cross? That's the only way you'll ever understand. Now, Jesus spoke of hell more than he did heaven. But now he came to redeem people so they would never go to hell. But you, you, you want to know what hell's like? Then you look at Jesus on the cross. And there you see that he took our hell. It's no question that he did. You know, the first thing that he did was that he died, uh, he died among the wicked. He died between two robbers, it says. Even the, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. Jesus died between two criminals. Now, you know what that is a picture of? It's a picture of hell. Hell is a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people. He died between two criminals. And did you know if a person dies without Christ and goes to hell, they spend eternity with vile and wicked people. You know, on this earth, you have a choice who you... Your companions are. But you see, Jesus died on the cross between vile and wicked men so that you and I would never have to go to hell and spend eternity between vile and wicked men. Oh, no. And then the second thing I notice about Jesus, hell is not only a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people. Hell is a place, hell is a place of eternal darkness. Look at verse 45 of Matthew 27. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Hanging on the cross, it was as dark as midnight. In the book of Jude, it says, and they were cast into outer darkness. Jesus Christ died in the darkness. So that you and I would never have to spend eternity in the darkness. You know, it's one thing for it to be dark. But what if it would never be light? Hell is a place where you spend eternity with vile and wicked people. Hell is a place of eternal, everlasting darkness. But see, Jesus took our hell. He died among the wicked so we would not have to go to hell with the wicked. And he died in the darkness so we would never have to go into the darkness. And, and the next thing that you notice about this, and th- this is the greatest picture, probably the most vivid picture of hell that you could ever see. It says in the ninth hour, this is verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell is a God-forsaken place. It is a God-forsaken place. Can you hear the voices from hell? My God, why have you forsaken me? You know, people say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with God on this earth. I don't want him to have any part of my life. I don't want nothing to do with God. Yeah, okay. One day you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. And you'll cry out, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken. 
so that we would never have to be forsaken. He took our hell. And then the last thing, of course, is Jesus on the cross cried, I thirst. I thirst. And they took sour wine with vinegar and put it on his mouth. Hell is a place of unquenchable thirst. You say, well, Brother Fred, now, let's just be honest about it. A loving God would never, ever send anybody to hell. Well, I want to say this to you. You're right. They choose to go there. In fact, you know what? There's a vivid picture in my mind that God blockaded the road to hell with a cross. Right in the middle of the door to hell is a big, rugged cross stained with the blood of the Son of God. And for you to get into hell, you've got to go around it. You've got to reject it. You've got to ignore it. Oh, no, let me tell you something. If God's desire was to send people to hell, why would he ever send his son to take his wrath so they wouldn't have to go to hell? So it's obvious that we do not get into the presence of God by provision, by by performance. We get in there by provision. Okay, so Jesus dies on the cross and he takes our place. Then look down in verse 50. We're there. I want to show you how you get in the presence of God. This is how you get in the Holy of Holies. This is how you get there and live there. In verse 50 it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus cried out and then he died. Now Matthew doesn't tell us what he said. Matthew does not tell us what he said. But John tells us what he said. Oh, John 19, verse 30. You know what he said? Oh, man, this is, this is it. Jesus there cried out with a loud voice, and he cried out that one Greek word, tetelestai, which is translated by three English words. In that moment, Jesus cried out, It is what? It's finished. Hallelujah. He said, I have offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. Jesus said, I am the sacrifice, and I offered myself up as the sacrifice. And now, all sin, past, present, and future, has been paid in full by the Son of the living God. You know what erected that veil? It was man's sin. And as long as man's sin stood there, Between him and God, he could never get inside that veil. But Jesus Christ took upon himself our sins, and he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. By one offering, he perfected forever those who are sanctified. And so Jesus paid the price. He took the full penalty of our sin. And look in Matthew chapter 27, and look at verse 51, and and you'll never understand this, Unless you understand what we've been talking about. Now what in the world has this got to do with it? He cried with a loud loud voice. It is finished. Sin has been taken care of. It's paid for. It's paid in full. Well look what in the world happened. Verse 51. Then behold. The veil of the temple. Was torn in two. From top. To bottom. 
And there was an earthquake, and the rocks were split. That veil was in place because of man's sin. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came and made the perfect, eternal, everlasting sacrifice for the sins of the human race. He died in our place. He shed his blood. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was made to be sin for us. And when Jesus offered that perfect sacrifice for sin, holy God reached down from heaven and grabbed that veil with his holy hands and he ripped it from the top to the bottom. And he said, you can come on in now. Come on in. And the way you get in is not by what you do, but by what Jesus did. And the way you get in the presence of God is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And friend, I want you to know, when you get in his presence, everything changes. And it's all because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. No wonder we sing so much about the cross. No wonder we sing so much about the blood of Jesus. Because that's what gets us into the presence of God. Now, let, let, let me just read to you two or three verses, and then I, I'll show you one thing, and I'll wind this up. You know, I want you to listen to these verses. Turn to uh, Hebrews 10 and look at verse 19. Now, in the first part of Hebrews 10, it says, He offered one sacrifice for sin forever. In Hebrews uh, 10, 12, it says, He offered one sacrifice for sin forever, and he sat down at the right hand of God. All right, look down in verse 14 of Hebrews 10. Uh, Hebrews 10, and it says, For by one offering he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Oh, now, look at verse 19. Do you know it says that because of that, the veil's down and we can go in the presence of God? Therefore, brethren, got it, Hebrews 10, 19? Having confidence to enter the holiest. Brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy of holies. Therefore, brethren, having confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts having been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. It says here, now we can go into the holy of holies with confidence. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by. Now, I want to think about this a minute. He says, therefore, brothers, sisters, having confidence to enter the holiest by reading your Bible, by praying, by going to church, by tithing, by witnessing, by serving. Is that what it says? What does it say? Having confidence by thee said blood of Jesus. There it is. There it is. Therefore, having confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, draw near. Listen, friend, I'm telling you, it's not by our performance. It is by the precious blood of Christ. He says, not with the blood of goats and calves, Hebrews 9, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, having made eternal redemption for us. You say, well, brother Fred, you know, you mean to tell me that through Jesus and his sacrifice, his resurrection, we live in the presence of God? Yeah, 
You know when you started living in the presence of God? The day you got saved. Oh, yeah. The day Jesus came into your heart. The day you were born again. The day your body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. The day Jesus Christ came to live inside of you and wash you your sins away with his blood. That encounter with Jesus where there was repentance of sin and trusting Jesus only as your Savior and Lord. Trusting only in his sacrifice and his precious blood. That moment that you were born again, that moment you were truly saved, you entered into the presence of God. Stay with me. And you've been there ever since. You've never left. You know why I know that? Because if you could leave, you'd be lost. If you left the presence of God, how are you going to get back in? There's not going to be any more sacrifice offered. So you see, once you're saved, you get into the presence of God, and you are there for eternity. The only thing that happens when you die is you just change locations. Here you've got the veiled presence of God, and when you die, you're in the unveiled presence of God. Because since the day you got saved, God took you into the Holy of Holies, and you have never left. I know what you're thinking. Brother Fred, I don't always live like I'm in the presence of God. Hello? You know, I've done things, Brother Fred. How could I be living in the presence of God and say some of the things I've said and do some of the things I... Wait a minute now. God's holy. You're telling me that ever since the day I got saved, I've been living in God's presence. You're exactly right. You know, I asked God this question after I was saved for a while. And it sounds like a stupid question, I know, but I asked him anyway. I said, Lord, if you could save me from my sins... Why didn't you fix me so I couldn't sin? Now, that would have been nice, wouldn't it? Okay. No more temptation. No more. I said, God, if you could save me from my sin, then, then why didn't you fix me so I couldn't sin? And the Holy Spirit said, I didn't fix you so you couldn't sin. I fixed you so you couldn't sin and enjoy it. Oh. You say, I sin, Brother Fred, and it doesn't bother me. I'm going to pray you'll get saved. Listen, when you sin and, and living in the presence of, a holy God, of the holy God, again, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian with sin in their life in the presence of a holy God. See, the good news is it's a gift. And we live inside the veil in the presence of God through the precious blood of Jesus and the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So I'll say this, and this is my last statement. Now that you're in the presence of God, now that you're living in his presence, let me make a suggestion. Read your Bible. Just read it, read it, read it, read it. And pray. Just pray, 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 pray. And witness, 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 witness. And give, give, give. Especially to the building. Give, give. I mean, you know. But you know what? You're not doing it to get in. God, I'm going to read my Bible and you'll let me in. I'm going to pray and you'll let me in. And I'm going to give and you'll let me in. And I'm going to witness you'll let me in. No, you don't do that to get in. You do that because you're in. You don't, do, you don't read your Bible and pray and witness and, and serve and minister uh, in order to get in. You do it because you're in. And you don't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to witness. I want to get. Why? I'm inside the veil. I'm in the presence of God. And in his presence, that becomes a reality in your life. 
I love that song Brother Ed sang. Now I can go into the Holy of Holies. I can make my petitions known. Having brethren boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith.